0: chapter 18, verses 1 through 8 is our text, Second Kings 18, 1 through 8, we're reading God's inspired and inerrant word. Now, it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him, There was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he was successful and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from the watchtower to fortified city. The reading of God's holy word. Be seated, and let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for your word seven times a day, O Lord. We will praise you for your word. This glorious revelation that you've given us, a revelation of your character, O Lord, a revelation of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is the down payment of our salvation, the down payment of our redemption in Christ. And we thank you for the Spirit's ministry in our souls, the way you have promised, O Lord, to lead us and guide us in the truth through the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we plead that promise before you now, asking that you would make your word to come alive to us and uh, that you would uh, grant that we would understand what the Spirit says to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 The book of Second Kings divides naturally into three major parts. Chapters 1 through 10 deal primarily with the events in the northern kingdom of Israel. Chapters 11 through 17 alternate between events in Israel and Judah. Chapters 18 to 25 deal with events in Judah. We've come to the third of these divisions, and uh, at this point, the northern kingdom of Israel has been carried away into exile in Assyria. Only Judah remains, and these closing chapters focus on the 136 years before the southern kingdom went into exile. Judah was able to outlast her sister, For so many years, her sister kingdom of Israel, because from time to time, God graciously gave her good kings, not perfect kings, mind you, but good kings who still sought the guidance of Jehovah's word through the prophets and who led her back to him. And Hezekiah was one such king. And is like a breath of fresh air after what we've just dealt with in uh, this book of 2 Kings. After downright bad kings, notably Ahaz, 2 Kings 16, and mediocre, yes, but kings. Yes, they did right in the sight of the Lord, but not like their father, David, or but Uh, They did not remove the high places. And after such kings as Joash and Amaziah, chapters 12 and 13, a young man of 25 years old comes to the throne who recalls the great days of David. We have to go all the way back to Asa. 1 Kings 15.11 To find a king who did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. That was 200 years before. In Hezekiah, we see what happens when a true Davidic king reigns. Hezekiah... Is the new David. And in verses 1 through 8, we find three aspects of reformation and renewal that show him to be the new David. In the first place, reformation of covenant worship. Secondly, renewed covenant obedience. And third, renewed military success. Reformation of covenant worship, renewed covenant obedience. Renewed military success. In the first place, Hezekiah led a reformation of covenant worship. Verse 4, the kingdom of Judah was in a state of rapid spiritual decay when Hezekiah came to the throne. His father had made a radical break with Jehovah in addition to worshiping idols Ahaz had actually locked the temple of God and destroyed all of its sacred articles. Second Chronicles 28 says, Matthew Henry summarizes Ahaz's reign as a deluge of idolatry that overspread the land. But now at long last, here's a king who removed the high places that had proved to be a stumbling block for so long. Uh, the Hebrew text here is emphatic. It was he, or he was the one, who removed the high places. Other aspects of paganism, such as the sacred pillars and uh, the Asherah, a wooden symbol of a female deity, suffered the same fate. However, his reform wasn't limited only to the paganism that had infiltrated the land, but also the destruction of the bronze serpent that God had given the nation of Israel as a means of healing the people from poisonous snake bites, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. The serpent, you remember, was put on a pole in the midst of the camp, and all the stricken Israelites had to do was look to that bronze serpent on the pole. And they were healed. It was a marvelous foreshadow, a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ who was lifted up on a cross for the spiritual healing of all sinners who would look to him in faith. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So here was a religious artifact that had pointed the Israelites at one time in their history to Jehovah. But now it had become a snare, as as if it had some kind of power within itself, as, as though it was some magical charm that the Israelites could use to gain favor with God. And the, the people of Judah had taken to calling it Nehushtan, meaning bronze thing, and it had uh, been used in a way that was never intended or never commanded by God as an object of worship, much like the veneration of religious artifacts today in the Roman Catholic Church. Hezekiah saw this evil and destroyed this evil so that it could no longer be used in this way. Isaiah 1 verses 10 to 17, not only condemns idolatry, but the perversion of God-given rituals. So here Hezekiah recognizes uh, the danger of objects being more highly valued than the reality to which they point. False religion always focuses on material objects. And thus, any reformation in the church needs to go beyond these. A godly life cannot be built on the foundation of idolatry. Now, all of us are idolaters by nature. We came into this world with an innate opposition to God, and with the readiness to give to other things, the allegiance that belongs to God alone, Christians, by God's grace, have been made different. They have turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Yet although as Christians we've in this sense, made a decisive break with idolatry, our tendency is to allow idolatry to creep back into our lives. We're inclined to associate idolatry with material things because we don't actually see people falling down and worshiping physical objects, we think that idolatry is a thing of the past. The truth is that we're guilty of idolatry whenever we give something, whatever that something is, money, power, pleasures, possessions, the allegiance that belongs to God alone, which is always to our spiritual detriment the first aspect of the new david's reformation and renewal was the thorough reformation of covenant worship the obliteration of idols in judah leading judah back to god's worship the second aspect was a renewed covenant obedience. We see that in verses 5 and 6. A renewed covenant obedience. That is, a renewed and sincere obedience to God's covenant commandments. That renewed obedience flowed from his faith in Jehovah. Verse 5, he trusted in Jehovah. The God of Israel. Verse 6, he clung or he clave or held fast to Jehovah. This is the word used of Adam and Eve in the covenant institution of marriage in Genesis 2 verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. It's also sadly used of Solomon holding fast cleaving to his many foreign wives, 1 Kings 11, verse 2. But here, Hezekiah is following the charge that David gave to Solomon as Solomon was about to take the throne, about to succeed his father David on the throne. David charged Solomon, his son, 1 Kings 2, verse 2, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn so that the Lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. That set the tone for the early part of Solomon's reign, the golden years of Solomon's reign, those were glorious years in uh, the kingdom uh, of Israel, the united kingdom, no northern kingdom or southern kingdom, but the the united kingdom, a kingdom that was one. And Solomon reigned gloriously because he sought uh, the Lord his God in those early years of his kingdom. And here in 2 Kings, it shows Hezekiah's determination to turn God's people back to God's word and to restore covenant obedience in the land. Hezekiah's attachment to the Lord was so deeply seated in his heart that it remained constant and steadfast. Hezekiah's clinging to the Lord, cleaving to the Lord manifested itself in his obedience to the Lord. Verse 6. Uh, this is stated first negatively. He did not depart from following him. Then it's stated positively. He kept his commandments which Jehovah had commanded Moses. Now, there's a more complete picture of the thoroughness with which uh, the new David obeyed the Lord in Second Chronicles. 29 through 31. There we find him, among other things, cleansing the temple, restoring temple worship, observing the Passover. This is a classic example of how faithfulness to God involves, indeed springs from, among other things, faithfulness to obeying his word, from steadfastness in keeping his covenant commandments. It earned Hezekiah the high praise, the high commendation of verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. God requires this feature of Hezekiah's devotion of all believers. This isn't merely Hezekiah obedience. This is broadly required of every man, woman, every boy, every girl who professes faith. In Jesus Christ. Wholehearted covenant obedience. God's people are by no means perfect in this life. They sometimes sin grievously. But the characteristic of their lives is to be one that trusts in the Lord, one that holds fast one that clings, one that cleaves to the Lord their God and that keeps all of his commandments. It's the very nature of faith to do so. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We know what Jesus meant by this freedom. It wasn't a general freedom that he spoke of. It was freedom from sin. And freedom from sin is accomplished by obedience to God's word. Keeping God's word, holding to his commandments. There was a, a renewed focus on this in of the days of Hezekiah. Reformation of covenant worship, renewed covenant obedience, third, military success. The third echo of David was Hezekiah's military accomplishments, unparalleled since the time of Israel's greatest king himself. The key to this was that Jehovah was with him. He was with him, verse 7. And wherever he went, he prospered or he was successful. So successful that he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And swept through Philistia all the way to Gaza, the Philistine's southernmost major city, verse 8. The consequence of Hezekiah's covenant faithfulness was that his military exploits paralleled David's in a way that wasn't true of any of the rest of David's descendants on the throne. Only of David and Hezekiah among all the Davidic kings is it said, the Lord was with him. Of David, 2 Samuel 16, 17, 18, 12, and 14. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 17, 18, 12, and 14, and then 2 Samuel 5, 10. And that the king was successful in war. Only of David and Hezekiah, that, uh, that, that these two of uh, Judah's kings were successful in war for Samuel 18, 5, 14, and 15. Only David and Hezekiah, furthermore, are said to have defeated the Philistines. Dissimilar to what we see of uh, the other kings and their great defeats before their enemies. And as similar as Hezekiah was to David, he was dissimilar to his father Ahaz, for he would not continue to serve the king of Assyria. Remember how Ahaz had sent messengers to Tiglath-Peleser, the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son, 1 Kings sixteen seventeen. But Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So David reigns again in Judah. There's almost too much to hope for, for God's people in the southern kingdom. Think of Hezekiah's reign in contrast to Judah's previous 150 years. Godly Jehoshaphat's foolish marriage alliance with Ahab's family not only guaranteed Judah would have wicked kings, Jehoram and Ahaziah, but nearly wiped out the Davidic dynasty uh, when Queen Athaliah uh, took uh, the throne briefly. Kings followed who were doing what was right, but never to the extent that David did right. Joash, Amaziah, Isaiah, Jotham. Then with Ahaz chapter 16, it looks like Judah is plunging into the pit, bound for destruction. How amazing that after Ahaz, we have a new David. But isn't this the way God works in his kingdom and among his people? Neither because of enemies from Without or danger within the church sometimes looks like there, that, that there's nothing that can stop her from plunging into the abyss and into extinction altogether. And then God sends time, uh, times of restoration, like uh, one of these periods when King Hezekiah reigned Idi Amin, the butcher of Uganda, was ousted from power. And the church of Uganda then and now knows life without his totalitarian regime. And there have since been seasons of the Holy Spirit's uh, renewal In the church in Uganda, our missionaries and other missionaries have participated in these seasons of reformation and renewal uh, and, and have facilitated, have been God's instruments of these seasons of reformation and renewal. Recent years have witnessed church nominations slide from vital evangelicalism to lifeless religious pluralism, usually when they deny God's authority in Scripture. And we watch them go from uh, virility in faith to impotence in their witness. But then there are some denominations uh, that have gone from doctrinal drifting back to biblical authority. And if you've been around long, uh, uh, long enough in the church, you've, you've seen some of these uh, instances. And it surprises us when this happens. It's usually not the way God works. But sometimes God, uh, God's relief surprises us. And we can only be grateful and not despise the day of small things. So you mustn't despair in the dark times that we're experiencing now because God is always and ever at work in the midst of his people, in the midst of his kingdom. Even after godless Ahaz, we now in this account of Second Kings have a Davidic king who turns the nation back to God, the Lord continually confounds our pessimism with his total sovereignty in every situation, including the darkest ones in the history of the church. And if Judah had cause for encouragement in the new David, how much more do we have cause for encouragement in David's greater son, King Jesus. Although the new Davidic king received high praise from the inspired writer of Scripture, as we shall soon see, he had flaws, just like his father David did. But Jesus, David's son and David's Lord, received the ultimate commendation from his Father. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And he has none of the flaws, none of the sins, that plague the best of Judah's kings. God has given His Son a kingdom. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ with her members at the center of that kingdom, and Jesus himself has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for these interludes of your kindness to us in the church. We praise you, O God, for such interludes in history that we can read of these interludes and see how you work in history and how uh, you work in the history of redemption, how you give to your people uh, these times of refreshment uh, in giving them uh, leaders that that they need to bring about reformation and renewal in the church. We pray, O God, that we would not be pessimistic. Uh, we will pray that even in dark times in the church, that we would uh, maintain optimism because we know that you were always and ever at work in your kingdom, that you were always at the work, O Lord Christ, our church, the church builder, building your church, shoring up her weaknesses making her strong where she was once weak, even returning her to greater fidelity, greater covenant faithfulness to the commands that you have given concerning her worship and life and her practice. We pray, O God, that you would grant us faith in your promises, that we would trust in you that we would cling to you, that we would not depart from following you, but keep your commandments, which you commanded to Moses, and which your people after Moses kept before you, and for which you blessed them, O God. Help us in these things. Increase our faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.